But it's it, what a joy uh, to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, you know how to sing, don't you? Yeah. Um, of course. It's lovely. It's lovely. And, and the worship team, fantastic. I know that my wife, she'll kill me for saying this, but she plays the violin. She plays the violin. Well, no. It's going to be about how many decades ago? But I know that she was looking at, I know that she was looking at your, uh, your play, and that was... Uh, it's amazing. So um, it's great to be here, and uh, thank you, Pastor um, for for inviting us, um, especially on obviously today of all Sundays. Um, being being what it is, it's it's an honour to be here. Um, this week it was our thirty fifth anniversary. She's been married to me for 35 years. Do you know, you women will know that when you know, when you've got a bargain, you know that you're all up. <laughs> I know that. I, I, I know that's what you do. Um, we've got two children and Rebecca um, is uh, assistant pastor at Christian Life Church in Birmingham. Uh, she's single, I'm looking for someone. Fix <laughs> <laughs> um, me afterwards. Um, my, my son um, has been married five years, six years, <laughs> it's great. Um, right, six years. And, um, and he's the assistant pastor at Derby. Wow. So we're just thankful to the Lord for what he's done in, in our lives and for our children. Um, but we are going to be grandparents in November. She's <laughs> um, um, just uh, excited. We know, uh, we know what, I mean, these days it's all changed, isn't it? I mean, when we were uh, having our children, you know, we didn't find out what they were, just in case God changed his mind halfway through. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's going to be a granddaughter. We're going to have a granddaughter. That's uh, what we're going to have. We're looking forward to that. It, it feels, for me, it feels really odd um, because uh, clearly I'm not getting any older. Um, but my son is becoming a father. And I don't know what is... Try, I'm trying to get my head around whether the fact that I'm going to be a grandfather, that just doesn't feel right. Um, or whether my son is... How, how did he get to this place of being a father? You see, if I can give you an image in, in your mind for a moment, when he was small, right through his childhood, we struggled to get him to sleep. I mean, we, what we would have to... And if you can have this image in your mind, it's going to help, help you for what I'm going to talk to you about. Um, we, when we were putting him down to sleep... Uh, in his bedroom, we'd have to leave the door open and we'd have to lay across the hallway upstairs with our arm into the bedroom, you know, so that so long as he saw us, he could fall asleep. The moment we withdrew our arm, he would cry, you know. But it did give his mum and dad an opportunity after tea to have a little nap. And we used to argue as to who's gonna, whose turn was it to lie with your arm across, across the, <laughs> into his room. Um, here's what, using that image, here's what I want to preach to you today. I want to bring a message to you to say this, you and I, we, we find ourselves at times 
when we need to see Jesus. And we need to know that he sees us. We need to see Jesus. And we need to know that he sees me. We're going to read from the Bible. And we're going to read about an old man who had been a disciple of Jesus for probably all of his adult life. Um, and he's, because he's a Christian, um, because he's a leader of the church, and because he's living during a, an intense time of persecution, he has been taken from his own surroundings and placed in exile. And he's on his own. And on a Sunday, he's singing songs and he's worshipping the Lord. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he has a vision of Jesus. You find it in Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to read a few verses. And we're going to nip in to chapter 1 throughout my message. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's me today. And blessed are those who hear it. That's you today. And take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Let me say a few things first. This, this letter of Revelation is not a letter to scare you. It's, it's, it is, it's not sent for an um, end-time timeline of horrendous apocalyptic events where you tick it off and some that you'll see and some, think, some hopefully you won't be around for depending on your theological understanding. It, it's not that at all. But it is a letter to bring comfort to people who find themselves in a situation which they wish they weren't. That's the purpose. It's a letter to show those people how you can live during that difficulty. This is a letter for those who find themselves today in circumstances that they wish were not there, uh, whose dreams have not been realized the way that they had hoped for, and who may think that they've been forgotten. Here's what I want to say to you. Here's what's in my heart. This is what I think God was communicating to John, what Jesus was saying to John. Firstly, and here's a message for you. And each, each point has a question. 
I see where you are. Can you see me? Jesus can see where you are. Can you see him? He knows where you are and there is no situation or predicament that you find yourself in that Jesus cannot come to you. So lift up your head. Let me read some more words in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and in the kingdom endurance, patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John, John's letter to the churches in Asia tells the Christians that he too is also in your same situation. I am also suffering. I'm, I'm in Patmos. Patmos is my exile. That's where I am. It's a, it's a place of punishment for the gospel. I, I'm not there by choice. I've been put there. My situations have, have caused me to be here. But just like Ezekiel, and they knew this so well in their culture, Jewish culture, that they came from. Just like Ezekiel had a vision in his exile. I'm telling you, I've just had a vision in my exile. You see, there's no problem that you're in that you can't, like Ezekiel, like John, say, also, I align myself with the Bible story. I want to tell you, I've met Jesus in my problem. In my situation, that's unpleasant. I've met him. See, if you've been worshipping this morning during pain, it's the road to revelation. Everybody can worship when it's easy. But worshipping when you're in pain, it seems that the Bible story says that worship during those times opens heaven, awakens the angelic army, and something happens. It's Sunday, and John is not with his people. It's Sunday, and John is not preaching. He's on the island of Patmos. He's in the place of suffering. It's the place of being forgotten. It's the place of being left to one side. Any one of us would like to go to Patmos today because it's a tourist spot and we'd sign up for it, but not then. In fact, nobody knows about Patmos. He has to describe it. He has to say, it's an island of Patmos. We don't have to say that now. We know where Patmos is. We just know it's the, well, you can go down to the tourist uh, uh, agents and you can book a, the book, book a flight and you can go and have a great holiday. But not for John. I'm on an island on my own. Let me describe this place to you. See, those people who find themselves in a place like Patmos is where all 
all that's in front of you just seems a lot smaller than what was behind you. All that's in front of you is, is my death. All that's in front of you is nothing to write home about. Patmos is the place where you feel contained, you feel like, um, I'm not going to get out of this. I, the, the, what's happened to me that it's fixed. This, this, this will never change uh, in my life. Um, it, it's how it's going to be now for the rest of my life. That's the Patmos. And you may know this experience. I'm quite sure you do. And you may be here this morning saying, yeah, I'm in it. But that place where you're in right now, Patmos, no matter how painful it is, can be the place where you move from the painful reality to a supernatural reality. John will move from Patmos to heaven in this vision, and then he will come back again in the new heaven and the new earth. And what I'm saying to you is this, is that what's around you and what you are in does not need to define who you are in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a story. True story, I was told this story. Um, if you know anything about me, you know that the nations of the world are in my I particularly, um, well, I, I just, I love being in Africa. Um, the Rwandan genocide in 1994 saw 800,000 neighbours kill each other. They lived amongst each other, they worked together, they shared the same language. Um, and they shared the same faith because the majority of them were, were, were um, Catholics. The Hutus and the Tutsis, two tribes. And they slaughtered one another. There's a story of a mother whose son is, is killed during that genocide. And I was told this story. How she nursed bitterness and she became so angry that her neighbours would, whoever it was, would have killed her beautiful son. And she wanted to find her killer and she wanted to bring him uh, uh, to justice. And that, that, that was the only aim of her life, was, was vengeance. But one night she had a dream. And in, in that dream, she was going down the street and she saw a house and she knew it was the house of her enemy. She knew who it belonged to. And she heard God say to her, go into that house. She said, I'm not going to go into that house. Go into that house. So she goes into the house. And then she sees a, um, a flight of stairs. And God says to her, go up the stairs. She said, I'm not going to go up the stairs. She goes up the stairs. And as she goes up into the stairs, to the top of the stairs, it opens out into a beautiful heaven. And then she had a revelation that the path to heaven goes through the house of her enemy. Mm -hmm. 
Two days later, there's a knock on the door. And standing at the door is a young man, and he's shaking. And he says these kind of words to her, I'm, I'm the man who killed your son. I can't, I've got no peace. Do with me whatever you want to do with me. Hand me to the authorities, fine. Kill me, fine. I can't live with myself. I did do it. I'm, I'm sorry. Because she had a revelation from God, she said, I'm not going to do that. But what I will do is this. You're going to come into my house and you'll be my son. So on that day, she took him in and she fed him at the table where her son would have been. And actually they were the same size body, so she gave him her son's clothes. And today, he is her adopted son. Why? Because she had a revelation that heaven passes through the house of our enemy. Patmos can be your enemy. Patmos can be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And it can be the best place. And it can be the best thing that ever happened to you. Because of what it unlocks and what it brings you into. In verse 18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead. But now look. Look, John. I'm alive. I'm alive forever and ever. I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is saying, John, I'm still here. I'm still here, John. No matter what you have felt about me during your suffering, no matter if you think I'm not answering the prayers of your heart, I'm, I'm, I'm still here, John. You see, in your disappointments, you may have thought that Jesus has turned his back on you. That's what Patmos does. And Jesus is saying to you today, by the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, I'm still here. My hand is upon you. That's the message to John, who was on Patmos, probably thankful that he's still alive in the time when all of the church were facing persecution and many were being killed. Here's the message to John. Tell them, John. You tell them. Tell those Christians, tell my followers, I'm still here. I'm the living one. And I'm saying to you that there's no cancer. There's no circumstance. There's no Caesar that comes against you. Can truly control your life or your death. Because it's only Jesus who has the keys. He is the only controller. And his resurrection proved his authority over the greatest Patmos, which was death. And he's in control of it. I'm in control of your life. And I'm in control of the day when you die as my follower of Jesus. And I am here. Lift up your head. 
Can you see me? Second thing I want to say to you. I think Jesus is saying to John, and I believe the Spirit will say to us through the Word, I see what I can do with you. I see what I can do with you. Can you can you see this and make the change? God hasn't finished with you yet. Amen? Amen. He is calling, even in the toughest situation, and even in the most difficult of places, where, where God has you, in that place, God is still calling you and saying, I want to still use you in that place to speak through you, to reach people, to influence. Verse 10, verse 11, on the Lord's day, the Spirit took control of me, and behind me I heard a loud voice that sounded like a trumpet. And the voice said, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Oh, that the Holy Spirit will take control of our lives today. The greatest thing that you and I need in our life is that the Holy Spirit take control. You may be in an exile place, not exactly where you want to be, but the Spirit can take control of you. You may be suffering, and, and maybe your families don't understand what, why you are a Christian and what you're doing, and maybe prices to pay, but the Spirit can take control of you. You may be an old man like John, and you think, you know, my, my past is, is, is far greater than my future. I don't think, I, I think that's it for me now, but the Spirit can take control of you. And my prayer is that come Holy Spirit, overwhelm the spirit of the world, the spirit of fear, the spirit of intimidation, the spirit of discouragement, the spirit of despair, overwhelm. Amen. The only spirit that should be upon our lives is the Holy Spirit who is controlling our lives. We should not be led or influenced by any other spirit that's so negative that will strip away the joy and the love and the peace in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit. Please come. Holy Spirit, control my life. Overwhelm me. I'm on the Lord's day. I'm worshiping you, Jesus. You see, it's only when we are controlled by the Spirit will we hear the trumpet-like voice of Jesus that John describes. Why, why did he say that? It's steeped in his culture, you see. When you're trying to describe the indescribable, you go back within your experience, within your culture, within your background, to use words, to use things that are there to try and describe what you are seeing. And the, the voice sounds like a trumpet. And for the Jews... A trumpet call is the voice of battle in ancient times. The trumpets would sound to rouse the troops. The Jews have a festival, a festival of trumpets. Well, that, what's that about? It's like their new new year. It's when they say, it's a new day, it's a new season, it's a new chapter. 
And the voice of instruction is, is the voice of the trumpet. That's what John did. He, he fell to the ground. And the, the voice of instruction, where it brings a response of worshipful surrender. John's trying to describe this. This old man could hear that call, John. It's difficult when you get older as a follower of Jesus because when you've been around the block and you've experienced God and you've gone through seasons of revival, seasons of renewal, there is a temptation from the enemy of your soul that says, oh, you've done all that before, you've got the t-shirt. And, and the passion can, can die within you. And all you've got is a faith. I thought, um, one of the MPs, I was just blessed to hear them say, the Queen didn't have a ceremonial faith. She had a living faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> or that we would get to that place. And he says to John, to a man who probably thought that his writing days were over, I mean, he's written the gospel, he's written the letters. To a man who thought, well, I'm not going to pick up my pen ever again. To a man who thought that that's it, all, all, all of that, he said, what does Jesus say to him? John, write. John, you've just thrown your pen away. Pick it up again. I want you to write. You've written a gospel, you've written letters, but here, what, here, in exile, here, in this finished put yet, right here, right now, I've got you. You see, often we think, change my circumstance, Lord, and then I'll be ready for the call. I'm just not ready yet. You know you're ready, you're ready right now. Because I've come to you. Pick up that pen, John, and write. Can you see that for you? Because not only is Jesus seeing you, Jesus can see what he's going to do in your life. Can you pick up that pen again? Can you rise? Can you say, yes, here I am. I'm available. I'll serve you. Here's the third thing. So Jesus can see you. Can you see him? Jesus can see what he's going to do in your life. Can you make that change? Can you say, yep, yeah, I'm ready? Jesus says, I see you from heaven's perspective. And the question is, can you see me through that filter also? Before we read it, I can imagine John's mind, John's in what's going on in his thought life I haven't seen Jesus for 60 years the, the last time I saw Jesus was on a hill uh, just outside Jerusalem I've followed him all this time but I've resigned myself to only seeing Jesus in eternity but I heard his call you see and I Verse 12, turned around to see the voice. 
that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, and the hair on his head was white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were, they were like blazing fire, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was well, it was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was, it was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Can you see what's happening here? He's struggling to find the words. He's all the way through. He's saying, I find it difficult to use the right word here. It's like, it's like this. It's like this. And, and, and it was like that. I can't fully describe what I saw, but I saw him. You can't fully describe your relationship with Jesus, but you know you have one. The world may say, I don't get it, what, what, what's it like? I, I struggle to tell you the love and the joy and the peace and the purpose and the healing of my spirit. I, I struggle to tell you what Jesus has done for my life and what he is doing for my life day after day after day after day. I can't describe it to you, but it's there. That's our message. And John kept looking, and behind the seven golden lampstands stood Jesus, like he'd never seen him before. And steeped, as I said, in his scriptural culture, he uses a title that's all just too familiar in the story of God, if you know your Old Testament like John did. He says, one like the Son of Man. And, and the story of that is that God called Ezekiel a prophet and called him the Son of Man. But then when the generation moved into Daniel, it flips from it being used as a human to being used as a supernatural divine being who comes to earth. An exalted figure. One that's difficult to describe. He's an earthly figure, but there's definitely the divine all over that earthly figure. Behind the church, behind all of this, this morning, behind all the songs, behind the prayers, behind this community, behind everything that's happening, is the reason for our existence. And it's not here. It's not this. Empowered by a new kingdom, a divine power that enables the passion and the love for those who don't know Jesus yet. It fuels our lives. It comes from another world, a miraculous move into our lives, led by Jesus, who's not meek and mild, nor a spiritual leader, or a guru, or a philosopher, or some religious teacher, but who is way above every name that can ever be imagined who is the son of man and the church needs to keep rediscovering who Jesus is 
son of man for our own discipleship and for our own witness to the world. 600 years before Jesus walked this earth as a man, Babylon, Iraq, is rising as a superpower. And it takes over countries and nations. And the city of Jerusalem is besieged and it's taken. And they come in, the people of God are taken away. And that's how the, the book of Daniel opens up. It's besieged, it's humiliation, it's shame. I, 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 the, the people of God, are, the, there's been a number done on them. Uh, and the enemy has tricked them and deceived them. Uh, and they're now in exile. And a student of Jeremiah, his name, Daniel, has a vision. He says these words in Daniel 7 verse 13. In my vision at night, and how similar to what John saw, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion, his rule, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel saw something. And what Daniel saw was what Jesus had in his heart when he's facing his Patmos, his Gethsemane, his death. In Luke 22, Jesus says these words, pulled right out of that vision. He says this, from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the Mighty One. He's quoting the vision, Daniel. Why? Because the story of God is one that says this, there is another world beyond this. And before all things created eternal, before all time, he is for all and beyond all. Jesus is forever and ever. When things die, he's still alive. There is an end and the last person standing at the end is Jesus. Standing with the saints of God, with you and me. That's how it goes. And as I looked, verse 9, Daniel 7. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow. Oh, we've read that. Yeah, John saw it. The hair of his head was like white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court was seated, and the books were opened. Daniel, so often isolated, standing for God in the midst of a wicked society, sees an army, thousands upon thousands, all that the church in Britain and around the world would see beyond what they see, that beyond us is the reason for our existence. Old man John is looking and he's seeing what Daniel saw generations ago and he realises again that Patmos is not the end for him. He belongs to another world. The purpose of our life is not here. Our understanding of our life is not gained by being on this earth. Just because you live another decades, it may not bring you the understanding of what's happened. You don't find it here on earth. We don't fear this life. We belong to another world. And as we rediscover the Son of Man, this other world seeps into our lives, 
our vocabulary and how we think and what we do. It's like the humanity is overwhelmed by a divinity. That's the answer to our church. That's the answer for our discipleship. That's the answer for the world that they rediscover the Son of Man, Jesus the Son of Man within the church. That they realise and see our humanity so that the divinity can impact their lives. And when I saw him, John said, I fell at, the, at his feet as though dead. And, and, and he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, I'm the first and I'm the last. You see, his best friend touched him on that day. John had fallen under the weight of this revelation. He couldn't handle it. It was all over for him. He was as good as dead because I'm quite sure that out of his mouth would have come something like this. Go away from me, God. I'm a sinner. I don't, this revelation it has that impact upon your life. When you lift up your head and you see a bigger world, you realize, oh my God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to change me. But just a simple touch and a few words and divine peace flooded the heart of this old man, his soul and his heart, his mind John it's tough I know it's tough but don't be afraid now of what lies ahead and Jesus would touch your life today by the spirit and say hey I know it's tough but don't be afraid now of what is now and what lies ahead it's still the message for us today, there's no place that you can fall that my hand cannot reach you that's the message of Jesus there is no island that you can be exiled to that I can't find that island. And what about you? And where are you today? And what is happening in your life? It doesn't matter because every day is the Lord's day. And if you simply lift up your head and you lift up your voice in worship, and you allow the Holy Spirit to control your life and overwhelm you. Then it matters not what has happened to you. He will come. For I am the first and I am the last. Jesus was the first one. He's the last one standing. And what is there to be afraid of when Jesus gets the last word? The most important thing for you to understand is that his supremacy, his supremacy is that he is the great I am. The greatest threat to your life, to the church, is the dethroning of Jesus. It is not the denial of Jesus that is the greatest threat, but it's the deconstructing of Jesus and the dethroning of him in your life and in your walk and what you do. There isn't anyone before Jesus and there won't be anyone after him either. He is supreme, preeminent, the first place, the highest place above everything and beyond all. And that's my message to you. That we need to see Jesus. And we need to know Jesus sees us. Let me pray. And you may not have Jesus in your life. And you may want to invite him into your life. And so I'm going to pray a prayer for you. And I want you to repeat this prayer in your heart and mind with all sincerity. And it's simply a prayer to say, Jesus, come into my life. 
So repeat this prayer in your heart as I pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I hear a call this morning about another world that's beyond this one. My world, my life, this cannot be it. Will you come to me and change me? I've heard this morning about the cross and what you've done in laying your life down for me. I give my life to you. Will you forgive me? I welcome you into my life and into my heart and into my decisions, into every part of me. Cleanse me and fill me with your presence. Amen. And for the church today, for the followers of Jesus, who may be in their Patmos, who may be struggling, we hear this message. We need to see Jesus. And we need to know that we are seen. And we are. You see us. And you see what you can do through us. And you see us through heaven's perspective. Bless this church. In Jesus' name. Amen.